Hey, hey, welcome to Why Are We Whispering with me, Jenny Gay, author, stepmom, and all-around truth seeker and teller. If you're tuning in, you too are tired of sugar-coated content and conversations. This is the place where I put a megaphone to the mouths of adults, talking about life experiences that most of us find too shameful, too uncomfortable, too traumatic, and too embarrassing to discuss openly. We dive headfirst into experiences, thoughts, and behaviors that we keep secret or hush-hush, never truly speaking honestly and openly about them, but that most of us have in common. And I'm talking about it because life can be hard, it can be ugly, and it can be painful. And guess what? It's like that for all of us. So let's stop whispering. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Why Are We Whispering? So on today's episode, um, this is one that's actually close to my heart. As a parent raising a little boy, I often find myself troubled and perplexed by some of the behaviors and expectations um, and just general messaging that surrounds my son. So things like TV, music, imagery, even online games, um, and actually the school playground itself. I find that our boys are are being bombarded with the message that feminine is an F word and a part of themselves that shouldn't be addressed, let alone explored. Whether male or female, we are all made up of the masculine and feminine. We know this. Yet we live in a culture of toxic masculinity where boys are encouraged to pursue football over arts and emotionally repressing themselves over self-awareness and communication. So joining me today to discuss this and to really kind of dive into it, we have Justin Eagleton. He's a Manchester-born artist, designer, and illustrator. He is incredibly talented, successful, and very much a celebrated artist. Um, You may have seen actually some of his work in Manchester, the Manchester mural on the print works. He's a beloved Mancunian, and as as we say in Manchester, and is very active in the community. He's actually been nominated this year for Individual Making a Difference in the Community Award for the prestigious This Is MCR. Um, so I'm delighted to have you here. Um, and I'm delighted actually just to have the opportunity to speak with you, Justin. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. I think probably a good place to start um, and somewhere where I'm keen to learn more about is your your beginnings. So what kind of child were you, Justin, growing up? Yeah. <laughs> I was good as gold, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> obviously. Um, I grew up in a, a small house in North Manchester with three older brothers uh, and a mum and dad. A very, like, six of us living in a two up, two down, pretty much. Well, a three up, two down, but very small. So um, three of us shared one bedroom. Um, so was very cosy. <laughs> yeah, well, I was the bottom bunk bed. So I was the bottom bunk bed. My next eldest brother was the one above. And then my next eldest brother was the bed to the right in a very small box room, probably no bigger than my studio. <laughs> um, and then my elder brother was in the other bedroom and then my mum and dad were in there. So <clears throat> it was a very busy, boisterous household with the uh, with boy at the start, you know, boy yeah. at the centre of that. Yeah, so all doing different things, all with different aspects to who they are, et cetera. And, yeah, it sort of worked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can almost like feel your mother's like stress levels. <laughs> oh, well, my mother's still with us, and when I go back and visit her now and go and see her, it, she still lives in the same house. And it, you can look around and think, "How did she do this? How did we actually have meals at a table at one end of the room?" It just seemed like, but when you're little, you just that's all. We, that's all we knew. So 
it was a yeah. big house for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Humble beginnings, but, you know, we, we all sort of value how, how we all started. Yeah. And when, okay, so being as talented as you are, um, is this something that you always had as a child growing up? Is it something that you practiced and came into? When did you, when did you discover your talent? Um, I've, I've drawn always since about the age of six or seven, very much like my little boy now, um, just exploring, doodling and and just getting better at it. But going back to the early days, I was growing up in the 70s, which gives away my age a little. Um, and Sunday morning was my mum's ironing day. She just used to iron pretty much all the day. I don't know, obviously, with all the, the clothes that we had back then, it, you know, constant cycle of washing and ironing um but she used to listen to music so my obsession with music as well comes from my parents in that she used to listen to an album every Sunday whichever one that might be and I used to help choose because we used to have a proper album vinyl rack because there was no other format then um and while she was ironing I drew the cover of the album nearly every week wow and they might have been rubbish, they might have been creative, they might have been colourful, but the, a lot of the albums back then had portraits of people on them. Mm-hmm. So we used to listen to Elton John, Billy Joel, Barry Manilow, The Carpenters, I'm trying to think of all my mum, Stevie Wonder. All these sort of artists that I became really good at drawing as a child just from covers. And if I see those covers now, it really gets me emotional because I can still picture what they look like. And my mum had... Well, it was my dad's album. He had a really, like an Elvis one, with it, which was his whole portrait. Mm. Whether it's still in their loft somewhere, but I painted the whole face on it on the cover. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm sure they yeah. are. Uh, so I painted Elvis red. Um, <clears throat> so that's probably one of the earliest memories of painting and faces and that sort of thing. So I just, I just used to do that, and I suppose I got a little bit better at it. Uh, but my brother... Middle eldest brother, Gavin, he was at art college at the time, me growing up. So he was really good at art. So when he brought his homework home or did some work at home, I always almost tried to sit next to him and just copy him and try and draw as good as him. That was my thing. Um, And in the end, he gave up art and he's pursued a career in joinery and creative talents with building and everything like that. And he's amazing at that. But I just carried on doing it, really. I went on to draw pets in the local pub. Um, Posters for the quizzes in the pub. So I guess, thinking back, that's where I sort of learned how to lay things out to look accurate and fit in, you know, fit the wording in. And it's just a sort of progression, really. My pet portraits were £15 in the pub. And my dad used to pedal me around the pub. (laughs) £15 back then? Like, that's... You were pricey. (laughs) <laughs> well, it was actually because we're probably talking about 19, 1985-6. That was a lot of coin back then. Exactly. So uh, I wasn't cheap. I've never been cheap. I love that. <laughs> know your worth. <laughs> know your worth. Um, so, yeah, so it was about learning skills along the way. And my two things that I always wanted to be, I was obsessed with football, which is a very different um, aspect to the toxic masculinity question mm-hmm. of, Obsessed with football, but also obsessed with music and art, and that's sort of isn't that. But that's, I mean, that's amazing because you're getting the best. We are made up of the masculine and feminine, both in traits and in energies. So that is like the uh, like a a, almost you know a well-rounded 
person, yeah, child. I, I, I tried to. Well, I've got lots of elements. I suppose little elements of my dad, lots of elements of my mum, and then mm. obviously my brothers, uh, who I'm very close to, is that I picked up lots of things that they do along the way and how they are and you know how they respect people and um, it's about teaching people and teaching how to how to sort of grow your personality and how you can sort of impart that on other people and you know maybe yeah. try and make people smile every day in some way and so you know you mentioned your age <laughs> so growing up in the 70s and 80s yeah. um you mentioned that you were both obsessed with football but also with um creating and art and all of that did you find yourself as a child as a little boy almost masking or hiding away the um, feminine side of you, the artistic side of you? Um, not really. I don't think I've ever changed. I mean, you conform a little bit when you're around more masculine groups than you think you yourself are. You never think about that when you're a child. You just think, I'm going to hang about with the bullies because then I won't get beat up. <laughs> you know, and that, that never comes survival, into your yeah. head. It never comes into your head when you're little thinking, I'm sort of, because I was quite a fragile boy. And again, my little boy is very similar to the way that I was in that he is drawing, he's creative, but he's the opposite in the football sense. He has no interest in football, um, only in as much as, you know, do you want to sit with me for five minutes? And I've taken him to a game. Maybe that was trying to impart my love for it on him, maybe. And we went to one game. He loved it. We went in the pub before. We did all those things that we, we sort of do anyway. Um, as somebody who doesn't drink a lot, I go. That's probably the only time I do go in a pub as a purpose, rather than as a social. It's just we go in the pub on the way to the game, um, have a drink, get a pie on the way to the game, or chips. Go in the game and come out crying if we lose. <laughs> <laughs> but I took my boy, and he after ten minutes in the game, he loved it. He walked out. He saw the stadium at, at United, and it's obviously the first time you see it. It's incredible when you walk up the steps. Filmed all that. And after five minutes of the game starting, he just said, can I play on your phone? And that was that. <laughs> and you mentioned that your your boy is um, quite creative. And yes. do you ever, as a parent, I know um, I even catch these kinds of nuances um, in society and, and in the school playground with my, with my son. Um, do you see evidence of toxic masculinity influencing your son, even your daughter? Um, well, in the playground, we've had a few moments over the last sort of 12 months, which I never really sort of thought of because he doesn't like football. And I think more so, he'll actually do it and he'll play in the back garden on his own. You know, he's fine with that. But when he gets in the playground and there's literally 50 kids chasing a ball around the playground, rough and tumble and from all different backgrounds, yeah. he sort of, that's when he becomes quite fragile and decides, I don't want to be part of that. I just want to draw or I want to make up games. So he makes up games with his friends. He'll play with the girls. Um, and I've said that to him. And he's, we've had the odd occasion where he's been crying or he's been quiet at night. And I said, you know, what's wrong? Or my wife will say what's wrong. And he'll be, I feel quite lonely. And I, I mean, mm-hmm. for an eight-year-old to say that to you. And I said, well, why is that? He went, because everybody plays football. Even my best friend plays football. And I have no one to play with. So I said, well, play with the girls. I said, it'll stand you in good stead in the future. Um, and yeah. he's, <laughs> he's very... Um, so... He has relationships with boys and girls, and I'm I'm trying to impart what I know now and be the parent that maybe I might have not had because I didn't have that really close bond talking relationship. We're in a different era, obviously. Um, But I would have talked to my mum a little bit. She would have seen me. 
Um, I know we are in a different era, but I still find that there's a lot of parents that I come across that don't encourage their sons specifically um, to talk through their emotions and to correctly identify the feelings that they're feeling. Yeah. Um, and I really, I, I'm very concerned for my own son being exposed to that because we are quite open in our family about um, correctly identifying the feelings. So when he yeah. starts crying about something, I say, okay, let's use your words. Can you tell me what the emotion is? Let's talk through that. When, when did it, you start feeling that way? You know, I want him to really have a, a full understanding of the, the gamut of feelings and emotions that he will um, experience Yeah, and being able to identify what triggers those emotions. And, and I don't want him ever to feel in a place where he can't express himself. Um, yeah. And I, and I, what I love about you and what you're doing and the things that you're talking about is that self-expression for boys and for men is so crucial to mental health and well-being. Um, so can you, can you talk me through just, um, obviously I'm, I'm a woman, so my, my life experience is very different to what yours will be, but I would love to kind of get into your head a little bit about, and also I'm not talented in that way, (laughs) Well, I wish I was, um, get into your head a little bit about when you are about to do a mural or, um, uh, you know, create anything. Yeah. Where, like, what is your headspace? Where, where is that coming from? What are you feeling? And do, were you always comfortable getting into that headspace where you're tapping into your, your feelings and your emotion and your self-expression? And how has it helped you with your mental health? Um, I mean, I'm quite deep and complex. I guess a lot of people are, but as a creative, I never switch off being creative. I'm finding angles, whether that be with the kids, with my wife, where we go, how I how I react to things. Um, sometimes using creativity as a distraction for, obviously, if, if your child's suffering with something, we'll try and do something in that distraction thing. But for myself, um, I've always suffered on and off with different mental health issues when mental health probably wasn't really a thing. It was just you having a down day or pull yourself mm. together type day. Um, you know, and I think growing up, it's very different. But now, um, in my creative ways, I just, I just, I have to build a relationship with the person. And that might be a very close relationship for a very short period of time. But I almost have to connect with the person and know everything about them or yeah. connect with them in a way like this to be able to create for them, if that makes sense. Um, and I think the power of, I guess, what I do, I didn't realise until later years that it's very powerful and very profound, some of the work that I create, um, and how it affects other people. I get messages about artwork that might have been five years ago, ten years ago, and still get messages about or artwork in a hotel and we're staying over and we've seen this, it's amazing, and it's really give us a sort of added to their positive experience. And it might just be an art, a hotel artwork, but it's the way that I connect environments with people, or I try to. Mm-hmm. Um, Portrait-wise, I have to know the person. Generally, whether it just be in words, I might never have met them. 
And these I've painted a lot of people, I've drawn a lot of people I've never met, including famous people, but I have to, like I drew uh, the Notorious B.I.G. I painted the Notorious B.I.G. recently. Um, and it was just one of those days where I was listening to some music and it came on and I just went down the rabbit hole of Googling some bits, read a bit of his story. And honestly, I needed to paint him and I saw some images and he's got some great imagery. And I just was overcome with, I spent about three days listening to all his music, all his music while I was painting. And then I produced mm. this piece of artwork where I don't even know where it came from. And when I look back on it now and I look at it and I go, it's really amazing that. And I'm like, which I very rarely say about my work, but I don't know where it come from. It just happened. I just did it, painted it, captured it all. And then I put it out on, I tend to put it out online. I had no intention of selling it or anything. It was just one of those moments. I might have been having a bad week and that was my lift was to paint. Um, and then I got a message back from the guy who took the original photograph. It's one of the most, one of the most famous photographs in the history of a musician. The, and it's called the King of Ra- uh, the King of Hip Hop, or the King of New York, and it's it's the picture of him with his crown on. Yeah. And uh, Baron Clairborne, who took the photo, sent me a message via Instagram saying, "This is amazing." No way. And I just so I messaged him back. I went, "I can't believe that you've actually messaged and you've seen it, and thank you." And that was it. That was it for me. And I've got this now amazing picture that I probably could sell, but. It's just it, it's just part of me. The whole thing is part of me, and that's what I do. And uh, and then if other people see it and go, that's amazing, or you've done something, or they share it, or they've got a story to tell about it, that's why I do it, really. You know, yeah. I've not done anything with this Emma Raducanu yet that I painted. Um, and I painted that. I knew nothing about it. I watched the US Open. I followed the story of it all the way through. I got really overtaken by it. painted that probably within a week of her winning it. And I'm still in the process of connecting the dots. And I will get it to her, um, whether that be at Wimbledon, queuing outside and just going, there you go, I paid that and thank you. You know, that's that's what I do with a lot of people um, and a lot of my portraits. It's it's, it's all my emotion out, outpouring and connection yes. in a painting. Yes, it sounds like it just flows through you. I think I try, I don't know what. It's a very difficult thing to explain and probably more psychology will be needed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But a a while ago, so I've been through lots of phases. I want to go through really dark phases in my sort of mental health. I'm really down on account, sort of pick myself out of it. I tend to draw people who've died. Okay. And it's almost a way of me healing, either reaching out to other people in a healing sort of way and here's my gift of this amazing person, whether it be I'm surrounded by like Prince, David Bowie, Amy Winehouse, Ian Curtis. I could go on and on. And then one time I was painting here. Um, I can't remember who it was. It might have been the Notorious B.I.G. actually. My little boy will come on my computer here and he's now nine years old using Photoshop, which is crazy. So he's created his comics and he was asking who I was painting. So I said, well, it's this, this man. And he was a very famous rapper and he, and he did all these amazing things and he was shot. And he went, and he said to me, he went, uh, dad, why do you keep painting people who've died? And I was like, don't know. <laughs> and then, then, then I suddenly thought back and went, I'm surrounded by paintings of people who had tragic endings. And that is a very. There's got to be something in that. And have you ever 
have you ever painted any like loved ones who have passed away? Not really. I've created order of services. So from a graphic design point of view, I've created like my dad died four years ago. I did. And I, again, my outpouring for that was, I mean, it was horrendous. He went through cancer for seven years, but I was really close to him. Um, but that was a big family bombshell, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my outpouring then, so my little boy connected with my little boy, he decided that he wanted to draw pictures for my dad, his granddad, every day. And he said, when he went to bed, I said, well, you draw him a picture. We'll put it on the side. So he folded it up and put it in front of my granddad's, well, my dad's picture on the side. Um, and he said, can you send it to granddad? And every night I had to take this little folded picture, take it away. So when he came down in the morning, it had gone. Uh, and then he's like, can you text him to see how, you know. And it was just an ongoing thing. And it sort of, it went on for maybe a month or so until it sort of eased off a bit and he sort of forgot a little bit. And obviously he's very, still very connected to him, but he's more connected to him in the emotional way that probably I am. Yeah. Which my wife sometimes says about can be a negative thing because I am an emotional person, but I don't want him to forget that side of things, mm-hmm. you know. Little boys do lose a lot of their sensitivity. Yeah, he'll be he'll grow up very like me because I will be, I suppose, influencing that. Yeah, encouraging but, it. Yeah, I'll be encouraging it absolutely. Mm-hmm. Talk about feelings. It's okay to cry. But then if you're hurt, calm down and then let's explain the situation and let's work our way through it. And there's nothing that can't be talked about. There's nothing off limits. Yeah. You know, and I can tell exactly. And it's more so with my little boy because my little girl is pretty out there confident and he's, he's more the opposite of him, I guess. She's still very grounded, very sensitive. You know, and my wife and me, we, we do put all our our values into them. We both work really hard. We're both from media backgrounds, creative backgrounds. Yeah. So my daughter will end up on the stage because that is what she's loving and passionate about. Mm. Without us forcing it, she just loves it. You know? And so who were your influencers then? Because it sounds like you're you're quite a cheerleader for your own children and I'm sure you're having a, a huge positive impact on their yeah. creative development development and emotional development. So who who is your influencer? Um, I think ultimately, I guess it goes back to my mum, really, I suppose, in that I probably spent more time with my mum growing up because my dad was generally working. Um, My my mum worked as well, but when my dad finished work, he'd come home, get changed, then go to the pub. And if I was in bed, I wouldn't see him. But then I'd hear him when he got back because he'd be shouting at me more and more, things like that. So I'd hear the noise from downstairs just as my dad's home. You know, and then my dad would have his tea that might have been on the table since five o'clock, mm-hmm. generally at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. And I, that was a sort of pretty much every day, really. I don't know which days my dad didn't go to the, he probably did. Um, and we went to the football together. We grew up going to the pub with them quite a lot of times. So we spent a lot of time in pubs, um, the local pub here playing pool, being in the pool room, allow, around lots of sm- smoke and men, mm-hmm. you know, little kids. My mum would go and sit in the, with all the women. And it, again, different era, but that was it. The men sort of went out to work. The men went and drank, generally. Yep. And the women did all the housey stuff. 
And when they all went for a drink, the women all sat in their bit, their snug, and the men went in the pool room or went in the in the other room, you know, where all the men were. And that was just that was just how it was, you know. But do you think maybe if um if your father and, and his mates um grew up where in a time and a space where they could talk through their emotions that perhaps drinking as heavily as they were and doing spending their time in the pub over the family home maybe wouldn't have happened that they would have been more self-aware in tune, comfortable in their feelings and comfortable in self-expression. And that would have avoided a lot of the addiction and toxic masculinity um, that took place then. And it still takes place now. Yeah. I think the toxic masculinity back then was a hell of a lot more, but I still dripped through. I think a lot of people now my age are will be they're just a product of their environment growing up. Yeah. So, and their children will probably follow that same sort of path. And it's about breaking that. Or I'm fortunate that I came from a very loving home, a very close family. Generally, we all talked and we had fun and we laughed and we still live live by that. We all talk and we laugh, um, and we have that very dark humour amongst us all. Yeah. Um, that is a very northern thing, I think. Um, and to get through the the, the the tough sides of life, you laugh through it, generally. Um, but back then, it was. It was men did that, women did that, and I guess that's where sort of misogyny and those sort of aspects of getting the kitchen and the, you know, go and make me tea, do the ironing, was a woman's role. Because that's what it was like in the 70s. Yeah. You know? Even more so, 60s backwards, but at least now I think we are going the other way in many aspects in that. Yeah, there's definitely shifts. Yeah, it's having an equal relationship. I don't I do not do the washing up and think, oh, my God, you should be doing this. It's <laughs> just we both look after our home. We both look after kids. Yeah. And as busy as we both are, which is extremely busy, um, we are sometimes ships in the night, but you, you just have to pick up the reins of, of being able to manage a household with children yeah. and manage a business. And going back to art and raising children and, and self-expression and how important that is for child development, do you think that schools right now are missing a beat in that? Because I'm finding that in certainly, so my children go to two separate schools. My daughter's in an all-girls school, but my son's in a mix. Um, and I just find there's such um, a preoccupation with sport and specifically football and I, I, I'm seeing like the, the ramifications of that. Like there was in my son's school, they had the, the boys. And now the, keep in mind, this was, I think, year two that they were in. So grade two, um, they created like a fight club. And oh, wow. that's extreme. There, yeah. Like there was just some really toxic, concerning behaviors that were taking place. And you know, you were talking about the home and I think a lot of that stems from the home, but what responsibility do you think the schools have? Because our children are in school more than they are in the home. So I feel like if we just, if we could balance that out within the school system, that our boys would have a fighting chance at being whole individuals and really being able to understand their emotions and their their feelings and have loads more self-awareness and there would be less almost like I think as boys get older as well there's a lot of almost self-loathing that happens because they don't know 
they don't know why they, they feel the things they feel and they don't know how to tap into it and, and work through it. And so I, I'm just, do you think that there is? It seems to be a lot of anger now. Yes. And whether that's the world and the pressures and money and jobs and all the usual, but I mean, we've always had social economic problems. Mm -hmm. Some households start from a very, you know, some kids start from, from nowhere to get to be, they've, they've got a harder road to go down than, the more privileged kids. Yeah. And they might all be hauled together into a school. I worked in education for 17 years. I've been a school governor for 12 years. So education and the next generation is one of my big passions. And I still go into schools, do talks about okay. my journey. But if someone came in, say he was an artist, which never happened. But if someone came in that like into my primary school and went, I'm an artist, this is what I do. I'm the same as you. I'm from your background, and I've got to hear, and I have a good life. And it's not so much then based on if you don't pass your maths and you don't pass your science, we're going to absolutely, you're not going to go anywhere in life. It's just not going to happen. Because there's so much focus now on STEM subjects, which is fantastic. But creative subjects now, you can only choose, I think you can only choose two uh, options, but you can choose all these other things that you might have absolutely no interest in the world in. Yeah. And then you've got the ones that you have to do, you know, teach kids in school, how to be good humans and how to leave the system with all the values, kindness, respect, uh, diversity about all the cultures, knowing and being, that's all I said to my daughter. And we had a bit of a discussion about it recently, say a discussion um, in that, um, my wife did amazing at, at, at school and was very academic, very successful all the way through the system. And I was, I was pretty much your run-of-the-mill student, but I did, I did all right. I did, I did yeah. okay. But that wasn't – it was more the enjoyment. I enjoyed school. I mean, I got bullied a few times here and there, and I hated those moments. But, you know, it's, uh, it, I've said to my daughter in that, not bothered if you pass all your exams. I know that's a really stupid thing to say as an adult, as a parent, but I want you to come out of school and be happy. And I want you to have climbed up and gone, learned things along the way where you're just a yeah. slow progression. You don't have to do this on exam day and then be like, it, because that's what it's all aimed at. It's aimed at one day or it's aimed at, it should be for me, if you want to change the over, whole education system is, um, everything should be based on, are you there? Are you present? Are you taking part in everything? Are you joining in with all the different aspects? Mm-hmm. Are you all on an equal footing? You know, and obviously you are going to get the the ones who disrupt, and that's difficult. Yeah. But the way they deal with the ones who disrupt is they pick them out of a classroom and put them in places that look like a prison cell. Yeah. Do you know, right. and then all the ones who disrupt in all the other classes suddenly start meeting in this prison cell, which is an isolation room or whatever. Yep. I worked in a school where they're in cubicles like this with a wall in front of them and a desk there. <clears throat> and yeah, they'd mess about in class in this isolation room by, but then they'd be in silence working. How is that going to, yeah. you might as well just chuck them in strange ways. A million percent. There's no, there's no room for creative thought, self-expression. It's just really stale and really, um, yeah, like authoritarian. So I think the school aspect is really 
crucial here. Um, and it's where I think from a society point of view, we're really, really missing a beat um, and missing a trick um, when it comes to influencing our, our sons. So can you talk a little bit more about you yourself go into schools? Um, I've, I've actually gone into schools as well. I've, I wrote a children's book called How We Blend, yeah, which is about blended and diverse families and um, just giving children um, more insight into the various different ways that you can have a family and build a family. And um, more importantly, so they themselves know that even if they don't come from a different or diverse family and come from a heteronormative um, environment, that if they themselves were gay or infertile or whatever the case may be, that there are other ways to have a family. So what what are some of the messages that you deliver to kids in schools around um, creative arts and self-expression? Um, well, I do quite a lot of classes in schools where I do projects um, where I go in and do a little, even to the youngest ones, even to the five-year-olds. Obviously, it's graded based on who, the, who I'm talking to, but um, about who I am, where I've come from. Here's some of my images. Generally, because I did games did um designed games for 12 years that tends to be the thing they're not bothered about a painting of marcus rashford well Mar- rashford probably different but a painting of <laughs> um they're not bothered about things like that they're more bothered when i say uh, i didn't make it as a professional footballer but i designed fifa <laughs> you know and they're all like that oh my god and then suddenly <laughs> all, the, all the ears pick up and everybody gets dead excited and actually listens so yeah so i do things like teaching them how to paint in different ways based on their curriculum, whatever that might be, but also how that can affect their well-being. So throughout the day, so at the start of the day, I, <clears throat> I had one last year and I had a group of uh, they were like six-year-olds, so very tiny, uh, and I was teaching them to paint like Turner. <laughs> like you do. <laughs> um, so it doesn't happen every day. So they were trying to paint like, this amazing painting of the Fighting Temeraire, one of his most famous paintings, and I, I had it up. And it, straight at the start of the day, they were like, oh, my God, there's, like, a man in the room, and he's very different. And you could see them all, like, a couple of the cheeky ones are obviously the... But, but you could see the ones who were very suppressed and very almost scared to speak, a couple of girls, a couple of boys, etc. Mm-hmm. So I break down the barriers by doing sort of a doodle thing that I do on the board of how to sort of... The, the, the things that I used to do growing up is like write the alphabet and get the first kid up where their letter starts with that name, come up and draw it and make a picture. And then the kids in the class have got to guess what the drawing type of thing. So, you know, the obvious things like an A is a 10 or they come up with whatever they think. And a, an E is always a butterfly for some reason. Um, so they do that and that breaks it down and we have some fun and that sort of breaks the ice and gets them thinking differently and also breaks the ice with me. And then we get into it. And there was one who was in total silence, this uh, little girl. And I could see, I said, right, well, we'll make a start and you just do this. And so I gave them a bit of a, a, a way to start what they were doing. And I could just see her literally staring at the table. And I went over and sat down next to her. And I sort of became a parent of this child for that moment. Um, and I just said to her, I said, are you okay? And she's like, I can't do it. Dead quietly. And she was, it's the first time I've ever had it, but she had her face down there and her tears were going down onto a page. Oh, bless. But she wasn't making any noise. She was just like, and I felt like I got really sort of worked up by it, really emotional, thinking, oh, my God, this is like, this could be any child. It could be my, my child. And mm-hmm. uh, 
I said to her, right, what what we can do is you give me your hand and I'll hold the pen and I'll move your hand and we'll draw a triangle. So we did that. And then we made a bit of fun of that. And I went, then we'll do a square. Um, and she hadn't come up to do the first bit. But so anyway, she so I said, right, I'll leave you for a minute. I'll go and see such and such. Came back and she'd drawn about four shit. I went, you're amazing. We can, you can do this. You can look how good you are. And you said you couldn't do it. I said, I think you're winding me up. So I make most of my things in my life into a funny, um, just to break that. Um, yeah. And by the end of the morning, oh, it was like, I couldn't, I couldn't cope. She, I was sat there and I was doing some stuff with one of them and she came up and she had, all, she put her hand on my shoulder. She's only six and she went, thank you. I can oh. draw now. And then walked out and went for a lunch. You know, like, because kids speak the truth, generally. Yep. And that one little, just little expression was, oh, my God. I was like, I sat on my lunch like that in silence thinking. And it's not profound, but it's, am I just to change that kid's life in some very, very minute way? Yep. Um, whether it be today, whether she goes home and talks about me, whether she goes home and says, I've drawn this. Or whether she then comes back the next day and thinks I can't do something, but I remember that man who came in and he made me feel like I could do it. Yeah. And for me, that is that's teaching, whether you're a qualified teacher or not. Yeah. Whether it's your child, whether it's a classroom, whether it's an adult, we can all make a difference to somebody's day. And those are those are the moments that give life meaning. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of things where I've handed over artwork and it's been really emotional because um, I tend to cry before they do. I try not to. <laughs> <laughs> I know what's coming. <laughs> I had one of my first ones I did, uh, I used to draw people's eyes. I went through a whole gamut of, because I'm very good at drawing eyes, um, and I was doing portraits just of eyes, and I, I set up a business called Icons, which was Icons. So I was, I was just drawing famous people's eyes. So you could tell who they were, and I, I do this in school as well. I said, if you ever look at an image of any person, any human, any billboard, you'll see what they're wearing, you'll see what the advert is, but the first thing you'll look at is the eyes. Mm. It might be a millionth of a second. So when we connected this morning, you came online, I see your eyes, then I see the picture. So your eyes are, I mean, the mirror to the soul, but the eyes tell you so much. But I did one for a lady in a, in a print shop, and she, I just took some printing printing in to get done. And she said, oh, you do portraits? So I said, yeah. She went, well, my dad died a, a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> um, and she was. I could see she was upset. She said, but I've only got this really old photo of him. So I said, right, I'll take it away. So I, I digitally made it better and I printed it and I, then I drew it. And I just drew his eyes. And then I, I got it framed and took it back to the shop. And when I took it back, the shop was packed. There was about 30 people in the shop. And I was led like... I don't even know how to do this because there's too many people here. And she was the girl who had the shop and I'd wrapped it up and I gave it. And she went, oh, I've been waiting for this moment and stuff. And everybody was like stopped in the shop. And she opened it and she's looking at it like this and the tears were streaming down her face. And then she was shaking and she just kissed it. Oh, my God, I had to walk out the shop. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And it, yeah. in that moment, this is going back, way back. It was just like... I can do that to somebody with a connection of, and I've never spoke to her again. I've never seen her again, but in that moment, she'll never forget that. I mean, I can still tell the story, but that gave her something in that moment that after losing a dad that she can see every day, you know, do you think that it's like a gift? 
Yeah. And, uh, but what you do and what your talent and your gift is, is it is emotion and feeling like personified. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah, it, it, it's a physical expression of what you yourself connect with. Yeah. You, it's almost me expressing maybe my grief or pain or emotion. Yes. And making me feel better by not healing, but making other people feel better. That yes. is sort of what I'm about, I think. And I connect to really tragic, sad stories or stories where I feel people need help. Yeah. So I work a lot with Prevent Breast Cancer. I work a lot with Maggie's Centres, which are, you know, two big cancer places that I then have this network now of women that all adore me in some way but more as somebody who appears at the front of these events with a big piece of artwork to auction, mm. to raise money, to help lots of people in the room or people you will never meet. And for me, that's how things changed about five or six years ago, well, four years ago when my dad died, but how I wanted to almost, I knew I could create artwork that would sell for a lot of money. And it wasn't about the money because most of the money never comes to me anyway. Most of the money... I am gifting almost with the artwork to to help other people. So I spent a year just giving artwork away to charities, <laughs> which was probably stupid as a business idea, but it it was incredible. I think we raised about £60,000 in a year for charity. And I never really thought about it other than the fact that, oh, my God, my artwork's got a lot of value and it's going up in value. And then I met this lady who does a lot of um, charity work And she said, never give your artwork away. Give it away in a sense of, yes, but for charity-wise, make some money that you're happy with. The artwork will always sell for a lot more. So you're happy. The artwork will be there and go to somebody who's happy, and they will make a lot more money out of it. And it sort of everybody wins in that way. Yeah, Well, I've sort of adopted that that in some ways. But again, you know, so I'm at... I think I've raised 125,000 now for different charities around Manchester, um, which is very surreal, but that's just from being good at colouring in, is what I say. (laughs) (laughs) Hardly. And I, I, I wonder, Justin, if your talents, if, if you would be as talented, if you weren't um, so connected to your emotions and your feminine side, I wonder like which came first um, because it does seem like you're tapped into something, and I think you're a, a huge role model to little boys Thank that you. you you are tapped into both your masculine and your feminine, and that comes through your artwork. I'm 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 more tapped into my feminine side and to women than I am to men, and that is yeah. just a fact. That's just a fact. That's just how I become. Whether it be seventy, thirty, sixty, forty. There is no sort of, I still treat everybody the same, where, no matter what. But I am very, very, very supportive and very, very protective of women. And yeah. I can't really explain that in other than, you know, going back to my dad in the very early days, if we, if we analyse that, I guess, in that, you know, my dad was this type of person. He was amazing through his life. But, you know, in some aspects of his life, he was quite an angry, volatile person who drank. Mm-hmm. who then would be not attacking physically, but attacking mentally to my mum. Right. The, then made me very protective as the smallest fragile child in the house who was probably had to deal with it more. 
Mm. And probably that's why I'm sort of very protective of my mum. I'm very protective of my wife. Everybody I meet, I tend to connect with women a lot more than men in a very sort of close relationship way, but almost in a... I'm almost trying to save the world without being able to save the world. You know, I latch on to stories and I go, come here, I will try and do what I can if I can to help and support you. Yeah. Whether that be, I'll donate. I mean, somebody messaged me last week, can you send a piece of hour to this PTA to raise money for this PTA? And things like that, I just go, yeah, just send me your address and it's... Might be the cost of three quid to send a poster, but for them, they might raise 50 quid, they might raise 100 quid, they might just sell it, whatever. But it's nothing, it's nothing to just do things like that. It doesn't really bother me, you know. That's not everybody's way of, of living, though. So, no, money is probably, as a businessman, it's yeah, I do well, but money is more a byproduct of what I do. Right. I don't do it for money. And that's what I teach to that's what I teach kids is follow what you love. School is very good at stopping you following what you love, I think. Mm. And I think that's it. You need to be not driven by you say to kids now, what what do you want to do? I want to be a YouTuber, I want to make a million quid, I want a Ferrari, I want and I'm like, just get rid of all that. Yeah. Be a good person, be nice to people, build your network of good people. Build positive people around you. Try and filter out any negatives, and the journey will your your path will will find you. That's yeah. you know, and do what you love because if you love it, I mean, I'm fortunate. I do what I love every single day. That, there's not many people who can say that. But at 35 years to become an overnight success is <laughs> taking me a long time. <laughs> a lot of things. Well, you're doing the most. Yeah. Right. Well, I've loved our chat and I always finish um, our, my episodes off with asking my guests the same question. So I pose this question to you, as you know, we're called, why are you whispering? When was a time in your life where you felt um, like you couldn't say something um, or speak up or out about something and you wish you had that it's a regret, a regret that you didn't? Oof, gosh, I don't really know. Um, I speak about everything. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest, as you can see, I'm not the most guarded of people. This is is how it is. Um, I don't know about any major things. I mean, I I don't know. That is a really difficult question. I I can't even think of an answer, but... (laughs) Um, But I've I've never really kept anything, I don't think. Okay, well, let me pose this question then. Why do you think most people feel like they can't speak up so they don't? Well, fear. It's pure fear, mm. I think. It's pure fear, and I think it is that people will laugh at me. People will... Um, I think people don't like to stand out. People like to be in a crowd, and whether that be all the masculines, so all the men are together, all the rugby men, they might, they might just be like, this is what we do, we're all, let's keep that quiet, let's keep yeah. this sort of lifestyle, you know, and then there'll be another group who'll be probably a bit more outspoken, but I think people are just feared of putting their head against the, uh, above the parapet, you know. Social media's got a lot to answer for for things like that, is somebody does something slightly wrong, whether it be one extreme to the other, and it's like a, it's like a social media pile on now. 
Yeah, the cancel culture. Everybody jumps on it. Some yeah. people, some person's raised their head and said something that a few people don't agree with. Let's all jump on and ruin their lives, and let's yeah. whether it be somebody in the public eye or somebody round the corner from here, you know. And that seems to be sort of the angry way of the world. And I think social media's got so much to answer for. I didn't really talk about that, but I think social media's got a hell of a lot to answer for, mental health wise. I would agree. I would agree. And I, and I'm. Uh, this is a whole nother episode, um, which I will be doing at some point, but about kids accessing or the what they're accessing and the ease of which that they can access um things that are destroying their sense of self and yeah it's a fake um, world it's a fake yeah. world out there and it, it's i will never post anything that's not me my true emotion or what i look like mm. why would i why would i because then you meet me and go oh my god you don't look like brad pitt <laughs> <laughs> You're so much better. Better looking, Justin. You're better I'd looking. Pick, I'd, I'd pick that drop. <laughs> but that is, it's a, it's, it's a difficult world we're growing up in. It's a very digital world. It's a very visual world, which yes. helps me in some ways. But I will continue to teach my kids the values of it all. And hopefully, along with my wife and our relationship and our unit, is teaching them right and wrong. And I think ultimately... That's what everything comes down to. It's right and wrong. Yeah. And, and I think that now more than ever, as you mentioned, with um, the internet and ease of access and um, all of that, that we talk to our kids way more than we ever have Yeah, about what they're seeing, what they're engaging in, what they're hearing, and yeah getting them to also start thinking for themselves um, and, and self-regulating and um, being comfortable, especially our boys talking about, because we, we always talk with the girls about it's okay to feel this girls are emotional. Girls feel too much, blah, 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 Um, which is negative messaging in itself. But that's again, a different topic for a different day, but really getting our boys to know that it's normalized, that it's normal to feel every feeling in the toolbox and and how to unpack that and work through it so you know the we can get those suicide rates down and we can you know i've I've worked i've worked with three dads walking and i know mike who's one of the three dads walking um who those three lost their daughters to suicide during covid all young beautiful young ladies all i think about 19 20 that sort of ages um, and they are, they've walked the length and breadth of the country raising money and awareness. And basically their agenda is that schools need to talk about suicide. I would schools agree. Schools talk about suicide. It needs to be part of the curriculum. Um, and again, with wellbeing, I'm working with um, Birchwood High, who lost one of their girls um, recently. Um, and... I think it's just being able to be who you want to be regardless, you know, without fear of, you know, reprisals, you know. Um, And it's, it's, it's an unfair society, but I think the more people that are trying to do right, um, the better it will be. And I think it, like you say, people spend more time in school. That's where it's got to start. 
It has to start. It doesn't start at the home. Some people are not blessed with parents that will be like that. But the schools should be blessed with teachers who can do that. Not just one teacher. It should be across the board. They should all be able to converse with with young people in the right way. Um, I agree. That's where it's, and that's, I think, where change can happen. Because when they get 17 and 18, you're struggling. The damage is done by then. Absolutely. The damage is done. So this has to start, you know, early years and and the the normalization of talking about feelings, even the way we phrase things with with our our children and our sons. So, you know, if he's getting upset about something, I always I ask him, What what are you feeling? Yeah. Give me three words that describe how you're feeling right now and let's talk about those. Yeah. And something as simple as that, you know, will set the tone for these boys to become emotionally conscious men. Yeah. But the emotionally conscious men that will not only value people around them, but will respect women in the way that is the right way to respect women. Yep. And I respect other people who identify as whatever they want to identify as. The world should be just... It's a very stupid thing to say, but just be nice to each other. <laughs> <laughs> no, back to makes, basics. Makes things so much easier. You wake up in the morning and somebody's nice to you. It does your day. You wake up yeah. in the morning and someone's nasty to you. It will spoil your day. It sets the tone for the day, yeah. for sure. And that goes for life as well. If we're not starting at a young age, it sets the tone for the rest of their lives. Yeah. So, you know, that's what it's about. We will change the world one day at a time. One portrait, one mural. One picture at a time. <laughs> at a time. Going, I've got my drive, I've got me pen in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, thank you so much, Justin, for coming on the podcast and so lending your experience and your expertise. And also, I just think you're not just an incredible human, but you are the epitome of what a well-rounded man is. So I applaud you for the way that you're raising your kids and the yeah the lessons that you're going into schools and teaching and um, sharing your talent with the world because you're an amazing artist. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's nice to see you. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Why Are We Whispering podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening and leave a review. You can also follow us on Instagram at Why Whisper Podcast. And don't forget to speak up and out. Let's stop whispering.